Hello and welcome to Heroes Unmasked, staff stories from Leeds Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust with me, Caroline Verdon. Here's a question for you. What do champion fencers, award-winning sheep farmers and professional rugby players have to do with Leeds Teaching Hospitals? Answer? They all work for the hospitals. This series goes behind the scenes to meet directors, doctors, support staff and everyone in between to find out who the people behind the masks really are. Hello and well done for finding episode three. To make sure you stay on top of all the episodes, do click follow, click like, give us a review. That'll be fantastic. On today's episode, we chat to Mr. Chris Parsons, who, to give him his full job title, and it's a very long one, is a consultant paediatric general and neonatal surgeon with a subspecialist interest in colorectal at Leeds Children's Hospital. Try getting that on a business card. Uh, What a lot of people don't know about him, though, is that he had an early midlife crisis at the age of 30 and actually walked out on his career but in doing so what he learned was invaluable. There was a number of things that all sort of came together in a bit of a perfect storm I think. I lost my dad towards the end of medical school and um, not sure ever really got my head around that properly. Um, Also left Scotland where I'd done all my training so I've been in Edinburgh for nine years and uh, was persuaded to move to London and take a, a junior doctor's job at Great Ormond Street, which was a phenomenal experience. But it kind of slowed down the career progression. And I was very aware of the fact that all the way through education and early surgical training, the focus always seemed to be on tomorrow. And it was always what you were going to achieve and where you were going to end up. And I had a little moment of clarity and I thought, well, I don't think I've necessarily stopped and really enjoyed today. I haven't really done anything yet that I'm really proud of or that really matters. And that may sound crazy given that I got through med school and was in surgical training. And I was finding living in London without too many friends around me quite lonely. And I think it's fair to say there's a, there's a fairly regimented career structure within surgery. And things weren't progressing quite as quickly as I'd hoped because I'd moved and there was an element of frustration, I think. I'd suddenly hit 30. I'd always thought I knew what I wanted to do. And there were big frustrations building up around not being able to do that and the other stuff that kind of gets in the way. And the truthful story is my kid sister works in corporate travel. So every time we got together as a family, she'd just come back from opening some amazing hotel in Russia and was telling me all about these wonderful experiences she was having and like like most people when you when you go into medicine you think oh one day I'll be able to travel and that had never happened so an opportunity presented itself that I knew would probably not be brilliant for my career but that would hopefully afford me that time and space to reflect on where I was going what I was doing why I was doing it and just get some headspace and get out really um, and that was a that was an overland expedition from Stoke Mandeville Hospital to Cape Town, led by a young man called Colin Javens. And Colin, at the age of 19, dove into the sea and broke his neck. And he's paralysed from the shoulders down. Uh, and yet, despite that, he'd come back from that injury and still had the desire, the strength, the fortitude to put together a team to become the first person ever in the world with his level of injury to drive from Stoke Mandeville to Cape Town. And so I went along for an interview at Stoke Mandeville 
where for reasons that never fully became clear, they gave me the job. So I took a year out, (laughs) (laughs) took a year out and got myself involved in, it was called Driving Home um, Expedition. And it was undoubtedly one of the most important things I did. I spent 164 days in a Land Rover with a phenomenal team of other people getting him to Cape Town, despite him losing a quarter of his body weight, having five precious oils on his body, spilling boiling hot coffee into his lap on day six of the expedition and all the other trials and tribulations that come with that sort of a trip. So that was my headspace, really. That was the time to clear the air. And what I found was that sitting there driving through the Sahara or the Nubian Desert or all these other amazing places I I was travelling, I knew I was doing something great and I was loving it. But I, but I really, really miss fixing children. And I, I can't, you know, it is that silly, and it may sound a bit silly, but that came very clearly into focus as what I wanted to do. Uh, and I'd always kind of known it, but other stuff had got in the way. And that opportunity gave me the time to really refocus on that. And um, so I came back and thought I was ready to dive straight back in. Um, but then another little opportunity presented itself to be involved in a in another charitable world first expedition led by an amazing lady called um, Herta von Stiegel, uh, and she's one of the top hundred women in the city of London who was involved in a charity called Enam Alamein, and she tried to climb Kilimanjaro with her husband, and had been unsuccessful. But turning you know, disaster into success, thought well maybe I could use this as an exercise to explore. I think she called it buddy ship or buddying up or something. And it was it was a, a concept in industry and in business where you take someone that's skilled at something and buddy them up with someone that isn't as skilled. And um, NML Alamein is a charity in Andover who uh, support people with disability leading normal lives. So they have huge challenges for one reason or another, and they get buddied up basically with their support workers to uh, see if they can achieve their full potential in what you and I would call normal life and she saw an opportunity there to take a group of people both able-bodied and uh, people with disability and try and climb Kilimanjaro and I got the phone call to see if I'd be up for uh, supporting that medically and was crazy enough or sensible enough or whatever to take take it and so I went off and did that and immensely proud to um, have been a part of getting I think 60% of us got to the top and of the six disabled people we got half of them to the top which was that's incredible phenomenal yeah oh yeah it, it was it got filmed we had, we had it got turned into a little movie called the mountain within um and i think it won a prize at the rocky mountain film festival in 2009 and there's a book apparently i've never read the book but there's a book called the mountain within that she wrote about it all my cv looked an awful lot like a remote area medic for a long time <laughs> um and in amongst those two i mean just awesome experiences um I'd struggled to get work, and a friend who worked in TV said, oh, Chris, I've just come back from doing um, the first Love Island. They've gone on to do American Survivor. Given your remote area skills, would you be up for trying that? So I went and did a season with them in Fiji for three months, living in a sugar plantation in a tent, uh, providing providing their medical support, and and lancing boils. I seem to spend most of my time lancing boils. Perhaps part of that situation you might not uh, be desiring to relive again. <laughs> no, I, 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 I now know. I'm now. I think I can say I'm an expert in lancing boils. What 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 what, what relevance that has to day to day practice at the least 
Children's Hospital in uh, in, in Yorkshire. I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah, no, I, I, it was I, it was one of those things where opportunities presented themselves, and it, it seemed crazy not to take them. So I did. It, it knocked my career back a fair bit, um, but I, I hope a gives me some good stories at dinner. But also, that's a whole different skill set that hopefully I bring to day to day work here. And at that point when, you know, you're just turned 30 and you perhaps told friends and relatives that, hey, this is my plan. You know, this career that I've been <laughs> working extremely hard at, for, you know, forever. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just I'm just going to go on a bit of a car ride, actually. Yeah. Um, what was their reaction? Uh, so the professor of surgery at Great Ormond Street told me I was, um, well, I won't, I won't repeat on air what he said, but he, he didn't think it was a very good idea. Um, <laughs> My my mentor down there um, was kind enough to say, "Look, I think it will it, it will have an impact. It will it will slow your progression. I still think you'll get there." Um, but I think he he got it, and he said that if it's something you really need to go and do, go and do it. Um, and I'm enormously grateful for that advice. And it would be, you know, I, I think I'm about the age now that he was then. And I think if anyone came to me, it's not it, it it's not the standard career advice because it uh, there is a very structured progress that you're expected to make and it counts against you um if you take too long but i do think it has allowed me to have a focus about why i'm here and what i'm doing that has helped me get through some pretty difficult times um, particularly recently with all that's been going on um the ability to go home and look at those photos and remind myself of what we did and where I was at, where I was when I came back and be able to say, no, it really is just about the kids and all the other stuff, all the politics, all the other bits that can get in the way. They're important and they're part of life, but that's not, that's not really why I'm, or we're here. So would you say then that making this decision to upend your career which left many peers and mentors aghast at what you were doing. Do you think actually on a day-to-day basis, it has actually made you better now today at what you do? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. I think I think there are so many demands on our time, so many, um, I mean, rightly, we, you know, it's a heck of a job that we do. And there, there are occasions when things aren't going well for, for you know, whatever reason, it's invariably nobody's fault. There's a whole bunch of things that line up and you think, oh gosh, why am I still here at seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night? Um, and it would be easy to allow frustration to come in at times. Um, but, but as I say, I, you know, I, I go back to sitting on the roof of the Land Rover, going through the Sahara or Ethiopia in particular was a memorable experience. Um, or you know, one of the one of the guys we took up Kilimanjaro had been knocked over by a motorbike at the age of four and struggled to even walk down the street. Um, but seeing him get five days into the six day climb, um, just you know, watch, watching Colin drive all the way to, to to Cape Town, it sort of puts everything in perspective. And you think, yeah, I can, I can, I can, I can do this. <laughs> if they can do that, I can do this. Um, and there's usually a child there that needs our help, and that's what we're here for. It sounds to me as though that journey that you took from Stoke Mandeville to Cape Town was pretty transformative. Do you think you got as much from that trip as Colin did? That's an interesting question. Nearly. 
I'll say nearly because he, he got a wife out of it. I didn't. <laughs> um, I mean, fair enough. I, 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 I hadn't really thought about that before. I got an awful lot out of it. There's no doubt about it. Whether we've, we've never talked, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's godfather to my eldest. We're still phenomenally close even now. Um, I don't think I'd ever thought about it like that. We, all, I think all of us on that trip got something special out of it. It cost us a fair bit to do, but we got something amazing from it. I think there's, um, you know, there's a lot of careers that have that element of pressure on them where, you know, you're always asked, aren't you, what, where are you going to be in five years' time? What are you going to be doing in five years' time? And even down to, you know, just being a kid and, right, GCSEs, what are you going to pick? This yeah. is going to affect yeah. your A-levels, your degree, your yeah. job, your career, Completely. your future. Um, and there's... Um, there's sort of like a societal hesitancy to take that time out uh, for absolutely. yourself. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, I, I still have days when I worry massively about the future and um, where where I'm going to be and all the rest of it. But I, I do try hard to remember that it doesn't have to be like that. It's important, I think. You know, I've got kids of my own, and we all I'm, I'm as guilty as any other dad of saying, you know, make sure you do your homework, make sure that. And you do get the right grades because it will have an impact on the future. But also try, also try quite hard to say it's okay to go and play football now or fight with your brother or whatever it is that you want to do. Do you think that having that experience? How, you, I know you said you were concerned that it would impact upon your career negatively, um, and it would slow the progression down. Um, being out the other side now, what what are your thoughts on? on whether it did that or not uh, there's, there's no doubt in my mind it did so um i was probably the longest serving surgical registrar in the country um uh, because it took me so long to get back in my cv looked like someone who wanted to do expedition medicine um and it took a long time for people to really believe that i was serious about doing pediatric surgery again and, and again, that's part of the structure, isn't it? There is a structure. There is a almost. I don't want to use the word convey about because it sounds so negative, but um, we are encouraged within the career to be focused and committed, which is right and proper. Um, but it doesn't always allow that time to lift your head up. And I was trying to get back in on a group of people who played the game properly, and I hadn't really played the game properly. I suppose um, that that may be a bit harsh, but. I, I, I think most people are very supportive of it. The thing that struck me more than anything else when I came back was how many people said, I wish I could do something like that. And to all of them, I said, you can. It just has to be a priority. It's like most things in life. If you if something's important enough to you, um, you, you can do almost anything. Um, and, I, and I get it. I get the pressure. I get the fear that you're never going to get back. And I had some moments where I wasn't sure that things were going to work out and I was going to end up where I am. Um, but having come out the other side, I don't think I'd change any of it. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're some of the things I'm most proud of. I'm, not, I'm really, really proud to do this job, um, but I don't think I'd appreciate it perhaps as much as I do if I hadn't taken the road I'd taken to get here. It must be, um, you know, from the outside looking in, it must be a very difficult job that you do on a day-to-day -day basis because... I can't imagine the stresses and the strains and the pressures that that y you must be under, not just professionally, but, you know, there's there must be such a huge personal element to the desire to want to fix every child that you work with and want to make everybody better. Um, y yes, obviously, you don't, you know, um, 
you don't come into this sort of work without um, the intention being that you make everyone better. Um, the sad reality is that's not always possible. Um, the, I mean, it sounds a bit flippant, but the bad days are really bad and the good days are really good. Um, and that's sort of the deal that we have to make with ourselves. Um, the impact on the people around us, I think, is sometimes underestimated. Um, I, you know, I, I think my wife would certainly, my wife's not a medic at all. She's a professional opera singer. Um, and I think she would say that the, the, when, when the bad days mount up, that has an impact. Um, I don't yet know what my kids think because they're still young, but it's possible, almost predictable that at some point I'll have to answer the question. You know, why is somebody else's child more important than me, Daddy? Why, why have you missed my football practice? Why have you missed the cricket game or the ballet or whatever? You know, I think I think that that comes with the territory. Um, the support that we get within ourselves is quite special, though, particularly here. Um, I have never been in a situation where I haven't turned to a colleague and said, "Just need to run this past you," or struggling a little bit with this, um, and they, they, I mean, they've always been there and that's that's one of the most amazing things about this place um, i would hold that up as a massive bonus um yes it's i mean it's crazy to pretend it isn't stressful but um i think i suppose we're a slightly self-selecting bunch in that if you find along the way that it isn't for you because of the stress you don't carry on doing it i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing um but it does it comes back to the fact that you are privileged enough and trusted enough that that somebody will come to you with their most precious thing, their child, um, and put aside all of their fears about general anaesthesia or risks of surgery or being in hospital. They'll put all of those things aside and they'll say, here you go, this is my kid, they need something doing and I trust you to do it. And most of the time we get to give that child back better than it was when we got it. And I, I just think that's one of the greatest gifts you can give. And I, I still don't quite understand how someone like me ended up doing it, but I did. Um, and I feel enormously privileged to do it. It sounds like to me that what drives you is that determination to help other people and to make a difference. Yeah. I, there's, there's something for me about the fact that children are basically innocent and when bad things happen to them or they're ill, that's no fault of their own. It's something that has just come along into theirs and their family's lives. And I've been lucky enough to train with some amazing people who've given me a skill set to more often than not impact on that positively. And the personal joy, I suppose, that you can get from that is also phenomenal. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about a family now who, I met on the neonatal unit shortly after I started here who had a, a desperately sick, very premature baby who I think I operated on about three times in the space of a week. And on each of those occasions, I wasn't certain the child was going to make it. And they are kind enough to stay in touch. And I've just had a video of, of him celebrating his second birthday. And he's a, a glorious, gorgeous, amazing, rumbunctious two-year-old. Um, and he potentially wouldn't be like that if I hadn't been able to do what I did. Um, 
and or one of my colleagues, you know, uh, and, and that's, I don't think special is the only word, really, isn't it? And I, I'm lucky enough to call that my job. That was Mr. Chris Parsons, the consultant, paediatric general and neonatal surgeon who had an early midlife crisis at the age of 30, but I think learnt something that we could all do with learning, really. Now, if you liked this week's episode, please do click follow, click like, give us a review. That would be wonderful. Coming up on next week's episode, we meet Megan Holmes. Now, she is a play specialist on the paediatric intensive care unit, but... What a lot of people don't realise is that she is also a shepherdess and champion sheep farmer. You weren't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs>